How many of you have ever gotten to a point and you needed an encouraging word? Some of you are just sleeping still. It's all right. How many of you have ever seen someone that's needed an encouraging word? I guess I'm going to have to lie here for a moment because I was under the assumption this morning that everybody in this room has had a point at one time in life where they needed an encouraging word. Or at one point, everybody in this room has seen someone that needs an encouraging word. Everybody here has been through a time or seen people go through a time where there's stuff going on that robs all joy and all peace There's stuff going on that gives a sense of no hope. Oftentimes, stuff happens, and you and I return to normalcy, but others do not. Oftentimes, stuff happens, and we stuff it in ourselves to deal with at a later time, not recognizing that by stuffing it in, we're dealing with it actually all of the time as it's stuffed within us. Have you noticed that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world? I don't need to replay the news headlines of the last week, probably. You know there's lots of stuff going on. With all of this stuff going on, who should we be? What should we do? Is this the stuff that the Bible promised would happen? This week and the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a little bit of a detour. You can ignore the Bible passage that's on the back of your bulletin this morning. We're going to take a detour out of the book of Matthew for a couple of weeks because there's a lot of stuff going on. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what is all of this stuff and how do I have hope? But before we start digging into big questions, big questions like, Are we in the end times, as the Bible promised? Big questions like, why would God allow someone with evil in their heart to actually accomplish that evil amongst innocent people? Big questions. But before we get to the big questions, I thought we should start with something simple. Because if you're like me, you have seen that person who needed the encouraging word, but it quickly slipped your mind as you returned to normalcy the next day. This last week has been filled with unnormal events. Stuff that in most of our minds is unacceptable. Yet at the same time, I don't know about you, but I kind of went about things pretty normal. Yesterday I played in a golf tournament. The fact that 19 people got killed yesterday morning by a bomb in a hospital didn't affect my normalcy at all. And that happens all the time. Stuff happens, and we go about our normal ways. When in reality, we should do something more than just say, I'm going to pray a little bit and listen to some person on the TV yak about a solution they got. So I thought we could start simple today. This is different. When don't we do different, I guess? Think. Today we're going to take a few moments and say there's some people that got stuff going on either here, not here, or wherever. And we're just going to write them an encouraging note. Because people need 
encouragement. So this morning, the ushers are going to begin passing out some thank you notes. Everybody's going to get a thank you note with an envelope and a pen. So grab that thank you note this morning and that pen. And as you get that, what I'd like you to do is start thinking about who in your life right now, either a family member, a friend, or a coworker, you know is really struggling right now. Could just use a word that says, hey, you're appreciated. Hey, I like, I like you. Hey, I appreciate how hard you work. Thank you for caring for this or that. Maybe you know someone this morning. But if you don't know someone this morning, on that thank you card, I just want you on that thank you card to write school worker on the top. If you don't have someone specific in mind, what we'll do this morning is we'll just write a bunch of thank you cards to the school workers at Harrisburg High School. And we'll just say, thank you for caring for our students. Thank you for caring for our kids. We hope you're encouraged today to continue to educate, to continue to love our children. So if you don't know someone personal, just write school worker on top of the thank you card. And then just write a note of encouragement to a, a teacher, an administrator, a staff member. We don't know who will get it. But just write something nice to someone. Say, have a great day. Thank you for what you do. Don't put your name. Don't put king of glory. Don't anything. Just write a note of encouragement to a school worker or someone that you know. Okay? Note of encouragement. Write that. Thank you for teaching our kids. Thank you for caring for us. I hope that God empowers you with joy and peace today. You're great. Thank you for giving your gifts. Thank you for giving of your time. Whatever it might be, all of us know someone that can be encouraged today. If it's someone personal that you know, put their name and then write exactly what that you think that person needs to hear and it can be personal to them. Write that note and then also coming around is a basket of gift cards. When you get that gift card then, don't put the card into the envelope until you get the gift card and then put the gift card in the card and then put it in the envelope. So you should have a thank you card, a pen, and a gift card to put in the thank you card when you're done writing. Kids, we want you to have a thank you card too. There should be some colored pencils going around if you're a kid. 3, 4, 7, 18, 27, 45, 85. There should be some colored pencils as well if you want to add a little color to it. I don't know what time the Vikings play today. We've got plenty of time. Let's just encourage some people. You are awesome. You are great. Anything that might lift somebody up and just give them a little hope for the day. You got bad handwriting? Write anyhow and hope that God's Spirit gives them the gift of interpretation when they get it. Make sure you get a gift card before you put it into the envelope. And then put the gift card in there, put it in the envelope. If you wrote it to a school worker, just put it in the envelope and then write school worker on the envelope. Anybody need a gift card? Not for themselves.
you wrote it to someone that you know, you're in charge of delivering it. Either put it in the post office box tomorrow or deliver it however you desire. This is not a gift card for yourself thing. So I don't want to see a line at Starbucks tomorrow morning thing. thing. If you wrote it to a school worker, let's just pass it down to the my right, your left. Just pass it down to the end of the aisle and the ushers will pick those up. You can keep writing if you need to keep writing. You can drop it off after the service in the back. If you're under the age of 18, if you're under the age of 18, I'm going to ask that you would go with Doyle in the back. Doyle, raise your hands, our family ministry leader. If you're under the age of 18, if you would go with Doyle, if you uh, older adults that are going with, under like 12 to 18, if you'd go with and kind of help with the little ones, Doyle's got a little bit of assignment, I'd greatly appreciate it. So anyone under the age of 18, if you're willing, you can head back with Doyle. They're going to come right back to us in a few minutes here, but anyone under 18, if you'd go back with with Doyle. All right, some of the ushers you want to close the doors back there when they get when they get out there. They'll be back with us in just a second. We'll do something else so again very Unnormal. While the kids are gone, and our other young men and young women gone with them, I thought we should take a moment this morning, have a little adult conversation. I probably don't have to tell you it hasn't been a good week. Even if you're not a parent, it hasn't been a good week. Who would ever expect their grandchild or their child or their niece or their nephew to ever have to fear for their life when they're studying the quadratic formula or studying English or getting ready for basketball practice? No one would. You don't plan on that. You don't think about that. It's not on your mind. Thankfully, God's grace, God's mercy, whatever it was, at least for our community this last week, no fatalities. Doesn't mean there wasn't any hurt. Doesn't mean there isn't any long-term consequences for people emotionally or mentally. Not a good week. Maybe it's time some of the adults in our country started to talk a little maturely with each other rather than yelling and screaming at each other. And if you have a different political opinion, calling the other person evil just because you disagree on how guns should be legalized or not legalized. There's nothing in the Bible about that. Someone's not evil. They got a little different opinion on a certain legislative effort in our country. Someone's not even evil if they don't think there should be a legislative effort in our country. It's a difference of government opinion. Last week, there's been a lot of conversation by a lot of talking heads. Get political for a moment. I'm not Democrat, I'm not Republican. One thing was missing from every political official that spoke. Our president spoke for 12 minutes 
other senators and congressmen spoke as well. Every message I've heard, I haven't heard once the word hope. I haven't heard once the word brokenness. All I've heard are guns, 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 GOP should do this, GOP should do that, Obama should do this, Obama should do that. Not once have I heard someone say, what drives people to do different things like this is a broken heart or a broken mind. I haven't heard one person stand up and say, the real issue is not legislation. The real issue is broken families in our country. The real issue is broken individuals who have no hope. In 2014, a survey was done by the Sioux Falls School District Board. That survey came back. 47% of the kids in the Sioux Falls School District are stuck or discouraged. 53% responded and said they have hope. That's in 2014, right here in Sioux Falls. That's directly from, that's from the superintendent himself from the school board member himself. 47% of our kids do not have sound confidence that the best is yet to come. 47%. Pastor John Piper said the following, Hope is a precious thing. If you look at the miseries of our broken and dysfunctional cities, one of the deepest roots is the loss of hope. People do terrible things to themselves and to others when they lose hope. There's people all around the world without hope today. And people who are hopeless do harm to themselves and do harm to others. Because they have no confidence that there is something better to come. They have no hope, or they have a greatly misguided hope that if they do something evil, there is something great waiting in return for them. It all comes down to a misguided hope, or no hope at all. We could talk all day long about over in the Middle East and everywhere else where there's hopelessness and all of that, what's going on. My concern today is right here. My concern today is what we have control over. My concern today is my side of the street. What am I doing right now today to give people in my sphere of influence hope? What am I doing today to give the people in my sphere of influence who are under the age of 18 hope, and encouragement. What they hear is this, anger and hatred. They hear dysfunction. They hear stress. And then what do they do with their stress and their dysfunction? They act it out in really bad ways, really harmful ways. What do young girls do with that stress? They give of themselves to be loved by a young man 
at an early age before marriage. What do young boys do with that hurt and that stress? They find a young girl to take advantage of. Or they bully others that they think they have an arm up on. Because our young people haven't had a safe place to deal with their frustrations or their questions. So one of the things that I want to ask of today is this. Can we be a safe place where you can ask tough questions and express deep frustrations? Because our kids need that. Our kids need a place where they can wrestle with the stuff. Otherwise, they stuff it and it affects in negative ways. You need a place where you can deal with the stuff. Otherwise, you do the same thing. We need to be a place where we can ask honest questions and express deep frustrations. And in the midst of that, give space without having all of the answers. If you're a parent this morning, I want to encourage you this next week a couple of things. First, have a bonfire with your kids this next week. There's nothing more powerful than a campfire. I, I got no idea, no reason behind it. But it's one of the safest places that produces the most conversation. Have a campfire with your kids this next week. Don't start the campfire by saying, can we go around the fire and everybody share your feelings this evening? How about just having a fire? And whatever comes up, comes up. If nothing comes up, nothing comes up. Have a fire in another four days. Or if you can't have a fire this week, how about just do something fun like bake some cookies and then decorate them in the kitchen? Or build something together. Do something fun and out of the ordinary that puts them in an environment where the shields go down a little bit. Maybe you can open up a little bit and just say, wow, I, I was just really frustrated last week by everything that happened. You don't need to follow that up and say, and what about you? You just need to state that. And when they say something, you don't need to have all the answers. You say, maybe you need to say, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for asking that question. I've had that question too. We need to provide those opportunities and those places for our kids and for one another. We need to be a place where kids feel loved and encouraged and safe. If it's 47% in our school district, it's, it's probably at least 30% here. Otherwise, we're not an image at all of what's going on in our city. If it's 47% in the school district, that means it's close to 40, if not north of 40, in all of the homes in Sioux Falls, including adults. So we need to be a place of encouragement and hope. That's why we're going to wrestle with these difficult things and ask, how can we be people of hope? And this morning we're going to do something vastly different and a little bit weird thing. We're going to have a championship tunnel for a few moments. You know that tunnel that you run into? I never had that opportunity, even as a great athlete. They never did it for me. Thing. But you know where they're underneath the tunnel and you're running and everybody's just clapping for you, saying that you are awesome or whatever thing? We're going to do that for our kids today. They deserve a championship tunnel. No matter what they've done or where they've been, they are created in the image of God, and they deserve to know that God loves them, and the only way that's expressed is when adults love them. You can say all day long, God loves you, 
That's clanging cymbals until an adult comes alongside and the adult says, I love you. We need to do that for our kids today. Right now they're out there getting some Pez dispensers thing which they'll use during the the message today. But we're going to set up this morning. I'm going to ask that if you're willing, we're going to create two tunnels from those two doors right there. Some of the kids will come in that door and run this way. Some of the kids will come in that door and run this way. So this could get chaotic. I understand that thing. But we're going to set up a tunnel here. You just kind of reach over like this with the other adults. You're going to set up a tunnel over here. Reach over like this with the adults. If you don't want to, just stay in your chair, and you can make weird noises and clap when the kids when the kids come in. Okay, so let's get ourselves. This over here, this tunnel, this over here, that tunnel. Justin, go tell Doyle we're ready for the we're Tell him to get ready, prepare. All right, get yourselves in your tunnel formation, and then we'll practice here for a second. Get yourselves in your tunnel formation. All right, let's, uh, let's practice once. On the count of three, uh, Darren, you're going to run through this tunnel. Jerry, you're going to run through this tunnel and practice. Ready? On the count of three, let's just practice cheering. One, two, three. All right. All right. If anybody else really needs it, you can run through while we're waiting. Thanks. Justin, ready? Are they ready? Tell them to come whether they're ready or not. Bring their candy with them. We got a sermon we got to get to. One, two, three, let's go! All right, young people, you can go back to your seats. We've embarrassed you enough. All right. If you have your Bible, open up to Psalm 131 for a moment. Psalm 131. Psalm 131. Boys and girls, young women, young men, if you have a Pez dispenser, you cannot open that Pez dispenser unless you hear the word hope. 
If you hear the word hope, you can give yourself a Pez and your dad or your mom a Pez or who's ever next to you. Okay? When you hear the word hope, we need some maturity among the adults for this to work. Thing, thing. When you hear what word, can you open the Pez dispenser? All right, here we go. Psalm 131. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Everyone here in this room today has seen and experienced something that is in direct conflict from what you have heard and believed from the Bible. This last week, 19 people were killed in a hospital by a bomb. These were not 19 terrorists. These were not 19 people that were part of an army. These were not 19 rebels that are part of a political insurrection. These were 19 people made up of citizens who had been hurt previously or made up of caregivers who have given their life to go to the most dangerous places in the world and establish hospitals. Hospitals that are not political. Hospitals do that do not pick a side. 19 people dead. Why would God not just move the bomb a half a mile a different direction? Why would God just not cause something to go wrong? If God is all-powerful, that makes no sense. People that have given their lives that are expressing care and love, dead. What I see there doesn't match everything I hear and believe from the Bible. There's a conflict. Ten people dead at a school shooting. Nine sitting there to learn. All different ages all different backgrounds, but some of them reportedly killed because they're Christians. Why would God, all-powerful, holy and just, all-loving, why would God not cause something to go wrong with the gun? Why would God not cause a malfunction? Why would God not protect people that willingly stood up and said, I'm a Christian? What I see doesn't match what I believe, that there is a loving, all-powerful, holy, and just God. How does it possibly match up? What we see and experience so often conflicts with what we hear and believe. This morning... Some of you at a very personal level are seeing and experiencing things that doesn't match with what you've heard. You've heard that God's got a plan for your life. 
You've heard that God's not going to give you more than you can handle. You've heard that God is all loving and caring. What you're seeing and experiencing right now, you're going, ah, I don't know. What do we do in the midst of this conflict? There was a man named David. David was chosen by God thousands of years ago to become king of the nation Israel. At this time, Israel was one of the most powerful nations and about to become even more powerful. David was just this little boy that was chosen out of all of these brothers. He was not the biggest, he was not the strongest, but he was chosen by God. God said to David, you're going to be my king. And then this David, this David went and killed Israel's greatest adversary. You've heard the story, the giant. David went and kills him. David's a hero. He went where nobody else was willing to go, and he made a military victory. David, God's chosen one, has got the greatest victory, and now David's invited to go to the place where he's going to someday be the king. He's been invited into the king's presence. He gets to the king's presence and he plays music for the king. But now what does the king want to do? Kill David. But no, hold on here. This is God's anointed. This is God's chosen one. And then what happens next? David goes on the run. David is hiding in caves. David is, is fleeing around the countryside. Hold it. Why is God's anointed one running around the countryside? Why is the one who God chose and God said, I'm going to be with you, here's my Holy Spirit, which was a big deal in the Old Testament because not everybody had the Holy Spirit until after Pentecost. In the Old Testament, only the anointed ones had the Spirit of God. David was the anointed one. Oh, why is the anointed one hiding in a cave? Because the anointed one well, was, people were trying to kill him. So can you imagine what's going on in David's mind? God, you chose me to be king. Now the people that you want me to be king of are sending their military after me. God, the military that I saved when I killed the giant is now this military that's trying to kill me. Can you imagine the confusion? <laughs> what? what? God, what did you sign me up for? And then David writes this psalm, Psalm 131. And he lays out for us a pattern of life that when we've got the same conflicts in our hearts and in our minds, an example that we can follow, you could say that this psalm is a show and tell. It's all about David saying, this is what I've experienced, and then David finishes it with an exhortation to us. What is it when what we see and experience conflicts with that which we have heard and believed from the Word of God. What do we do? First thing is this, that David does. David does not let his mind become preoccupied with questions that are bigger than himself. This does not mean he doesn't ask tough questions. It means he does not become occupied. He does not dwell upon these questions. This is not God's Word saying to us when it says, I do not occupy myself with things too great or marvelous for me. This is not God saying, never ask questions. Because in Psalm 22, the psalmist says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do those words sound familiar at all? 
than Jesus on the cross. What does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God doesn't say, hey, don't ask any questions. Be a good soldier. No, the Psalms are filled with people expressing questions and doubts. The question is this. Do we allow the questions and doubts to become a dagger to God? Haddon Robinson, a really old preacher, said this. Questions are fine until the question mark becomes a dagger. You can ask God questions, and you can ask your parents, and you can ask friends and coworkers questions. But the moment those questions occupy everything about us, and the moment we use those questions as an adversarial tool to say, God, you are not God, it becomes dangerous. The moment we do that, what happens? Hope is squelched. If we allow the big questions to dominate our minds, it pushes down hope. David says this, you know what? It's beyond me. It's too much for my mind. There's a great example for us here. David basically saying, I'm going to let God be God, and I'm going to do this human thing. Do you know the amount of difference between human and God? We've tried to close the gap. You know, we've closed the gap. We've made God way too friendly. Okay, God is outside of creation. God is outside of time. God has made, us, made himself known through human words, but that doesn't make God human. It's kind of like an infant and an adult. Think of the difference between an infant and an adult. Massive. And, and how many people, when they've got a sick infant, go to the infant and give the infant some vaccine, and then after giving their infant the vaccine, say, it's okay, this takes about 24 to 38 hours. It needs to get into bloodstream C and bloodstream A, and then you're going to feel a little tingle in your toe. That means it's working up. How many people then give a detailed instruction of how the vaccine is going to work to their infant? What do you do with the infant? You just hold the infant. Even after you've given the vaccine, they don't want a thesis paper. They just want to be held. How much more with creation, with our Creator? That there's things we simply cannot understand of why or how, but we need to be held. This is what David says. David says, you know what? I'm not going to let that stuff stop me from being held because it's too lofty for me. It's, it's beyond me. We cannot become dominated by the big questions to the point where the big questions block us from God. Not only that, but then he says, secondly, David says, you know what? I'm, I've calmed myself and I'm like a weaned child. It very simply means this. David goes to God for God. David does not go to God for answers, but goes to God for God. A weaned child goes to their mother for what? Rest. Comfort. A weaned child no longer goes for nourishment or milk. Right? A nursing child does what? Wants milk, I want nourishment. Anxious, nervous, cry until you get it. A weaned child does what? The moment they're on their mother's chest, they rest. David says, you know what? I'm like a weaned child. I've experienced a little bit of the world. I know there's lots of bad stuff, but guess what? I need to go to God for rest. I'm not going to God for answers. I'm not going to God to get A or B. I'm just simply going to God to get God. 
This is an absolutely crazy concept for a lot of us. That God in and of himself is enough. We don't need more than God. We get God. We get to be in relationship with the creator of the universe, and that should be enough. That means there's going to be times where there's no answers. That's going to be means there's times when there's lots of frustrations that don't get answered. But is God enough for us? Are we simply enough holding on to the creator? Guess what? This is heaven. You want to know what heaven is? It's God. A lot of times we make heaven out to be this perfect place. Sometimes it never gets talked about is what? Jesus. We talk about heaven, we're like, oh, they're up there farming now, just planting their fields, and they're up there golfing now and enjoying all of that stuff. I don't know. Do we get to plant and farm? I sure hope so. But guess what? The only promise we have about heaven is what? The presence of God. If God's enough for eternity, he better be enough for today. David said, God is enough for me. I don't have to have the big questions asked, but God is enough. And so David says, this is what I've done. I've stopped with the big questions. I'm resting in the presence of God. And then now he turns and he says to his people, hey, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to circle Oh, Israel. This is a big deal. David says, oh, Israel. This is not David just saying, hey, you people over there in this nation. No, no. This is David reminding people, hey, you're the people of God. Israel was not a nation that people went to and then they became Israelites. No, no, no. Israel was a name that was given to a people group. God said, now, you are Israel. And so David says, hey, remember, you are the people of God. Today, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are Israel. And I'm not talking about Middle East Israel. I'm talking about the people of God. We have been grafted into the community, the people of God. Romans 9 through 11 spells it out in great detail. We are now the people of God through Christ Jesus. And David is saying here, hey, people of God, remember who you are. Now put your hope in the Lord. Where do we put our hope? Where do we put our sure confidence? Where do we get our confidence from? Some of us get our confidence from our abilities. Some of us get our confidence from our well-being. Some of us get our confidence from our looks. We've all been down this path, right? All of you have had your confidence shaken at some point because your confidence was in something that could be shaken. David says here, hey, 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 put your confidence or hope where? In the Lord. Our hope is not found in the circumstances going on around us. Our hope is not found in some intellectual argument that will help us understand everything that's happened or is happening. Our hope or our sure confidence is found in one place, in the Lord. This morning, as we begin a difficult journey of asking the question, what's all this stuff that's going on? We've got to begin that journey in the proper place. That proper place is here, saying, God, you be God. I want to get my hope from you.
the reason that so many people have no sure confidence that the very best is going to happen is that their sure confidence has been placed in something that can be broken. And everything here on earth can be broken. If we want to restore hope, if we want to restore a sure confidence in our lives and in our kids' lives that the very best is going to happen, it begins by restoring the source of that hope, which is in the Lord. This morning, very simple. Are you in the Lord? In the Lord simply means to be united to God, that I have union in relationship, that the source of my strength, the source of my hope is God himself. What's the source of your strength and hope this morning? If it's anything other than God, this last week should have wiped out your hope completely because it should have brought the realization this, that everything else is broken and broken badly. There's one thing you and I need today. Very simple Sunday school answer. We need the Lord, for our hope is in the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to now turn our attention to singing, to saying to God through a song, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. And in this song, we sing, Lord, I need you, I need you. You are my one defense. You are my righteousness. Lord, how I need you. When he says, you are my righteousness, that's a big biblical word that simply means this. God, you are my perfection. God, you are what makes me right. In other words, God, you are the source of my hope and strength. And so this morning, I hope you would join with me in singing, Lord, I need you. Because more than ever, our hearts need the Lord. And this morning, one final warning. Before we dare point the finger to anyone else in our country and says they need the Lord, before you dare point your finger at the White House and say Obama needs the Lord, we first point the finger at our own hearts and we say, Lord, I need you. Lord, my kids need you. That's what we can control. That's what we can pursue. That's what we can go after. Together, let's go after the Lord, for he is the source of our hope. Let's stand and sing together, Lord, I need you.